the difference between a true believer and a false believer is that a true believer has a new direction. We're not talking about perfection, but direction. There's a new direction in life. And understand, obedience is not a condition of salvation. It is the evidence of salvation. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We've spent some time the past few days looking at the uniqueness of the Trinity, whom Revelation 22 verses 6 through 10 call us to worship. This is all part of our study in the Revelation, most of which is prophetic in nature. Over the past several months, we have looked at the events in this book, the rapture of the church, the time of tribulation and judgments, the return of Christ and his millennial reign, the overthrow and final defeat of Satan, and the New Jerusalem, capital of the new heaven and new earth. As we rejoin Dr. Brogy, he makes note of the distinctions between believers who are raptured and believers at the time of the second coming. Believers at the rapture will receive glorified bodies. Believers who are alive at the second coming, they will go into the millennium in their natural bodies. Now, when they go into the millennium, remember the millennium is a thousand years long. Once a person is saved, the Bible teaches they are saved forever. We and our resurrected bodies will be like the angels and that we will not procreate and we won't be married. Some ladies say, oh, thank God, my marriage will be over. <laughs> That's not to say that you won't have a special relationship with your wife. Of course, one guy said to me, I'm not sure which one. I've been married five times. I said, oh, you know, you can see why God had to sort this thing out a little bit. But those who enter into the millennial reign in their natural bodies will have children over the course of a thousand years. And Satan will have been locked up for the full thousand years. And at the end of the thousand years, he hasn't tempted anyone. Jesus is ruling perfect conditions, yet not all will respond. And he will muster up a rebellion that will be put down before they can fire their first bullet. We've studied it in detail. And then he'll be cast into the lake of fire. Then the lost of all time are brought before the great white throne judgment. That brought us to chapter 21, where we studied heaven and what it was like. Chapter 22, 1 through 5, the inside tour. And when you, if you didn't believe the Bible was the word of God, you might say, man, this is fiction. This is too good to be true. God says these words are faithful and true, John, this is no dream. You're not in some spiritual fog. Everything that you have seen and heard and you have recorded is really real. God is faithful and true. And because God, the Lord, the God of the spirits of his prophets, sent his angel to tell you this, you can bank on it. Now, that's the first response. The fact that Jesus is coming, we are to wait. We are to anticipate. But more than anticipation, God wants us to make some application. So when you think about Christ coming back, we are also to work. We are to work. Look now at verse 7. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. 
again, quickly or soon or suddenly, uh, again, speaks of the time of time and that when it begins, it will happen very fast. And we've witnessed that with the 21 judgments. And we witness that with other events that are in the future. For instance, listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and will be changed. Now, biologically, the twinkling of an eye refers to the amount of time it takes for light to hit the eyeball and bounce off. I don't know how they come up with it, but scientists say it's one millionth of a second. That's how fast it's going to happen. I don't know how many true Christians there are in the world, but let's say for the sake of argument, there's 500 million born-again Christians alive. I mean, think if the rapture happened today and Christians all across this campus were suddenly missing. Some of us who don't know Christ would be in havoc. But think about the planet. 500 million people say gone, maybe more, all across the world. The world will be in utter turmoil. And it's going to happen so fast in the twinkling of an eye. That's the rapture. Think about the speed of the second coming. Jesus said it this way in the Olivet Discourse. For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Light travels, you know, 186,000 miles per second. The point is, is that once this thing starts, it's going to be very, very fast. And not just unbelievers need to heed this warning so that they are saved, but he's addressing here primarily Christians who need to be obeying this truth. Look at verse 7 again. And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. Now, if you've been with us in our study of the Revelation, we've learned there are seven Beatitudes in the book of Revelation. Here's a chart. The, the book opened that those who read and heed and obey the book of Revelation, those who read it, who hear it and obey it, they're blessed. There's a blessing that is given for the believer who wants to study the book of Revelation. Later on, he'll give a beatitude for those who die in the Lord. He's speaking about that seven-year period where how are most of God's people who are converted during the tribulation. And remember, it's people who've never heard the gospel before. The typical way they are dead is by execution, i.e., their heads are cut off. Mm. So in that sense, it's a blessing. If you die in the Lord at that point, especially what's coming after Revelation 14. Revelation 16, blessed are those who are watching. Revelation 19, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. When the church is raptured, we'll be in heaven, and our lives will be evaluated. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. It's not to see if you get into heaven. It's a judgment for Christians to see how you will spend eternity based on your faithfulness now. And then we will sit down with the Lord at the marriage supper of the Lamb. It will be magnificent. Then Revelation 20, verse 6, those who are a part of the first resurrection. We studied the whole first resurrection program. And then here we are, Revelation 22, 7, those who heed. Look at the verse again. Blessed is he who heeds 
the word of the prophecy of this book. You're blessed if you heed. So if you're blessed by heeding, what does it mean to heed? Well, it's a Greek word that means to observe, to keep. In fact, uh, the same word was used in Revelation 14, 12 of believers. Here is the perseverance of the saints. And I think most of you know that if you are saved, you're a saint. You're looking at St. Brogy this morning. Now, no church gave me that designation. Sainthood, though, is spoken of every believer. How righteous do you have to be to go to heaven? As righteous as God. You can't earn it. You can't achieve it. It's gifted by grace through faith. You are accredited and called a saint of God. Here is the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God in their faith in Jesus. He's saying, listen, when God declares you a saint, a holy one, you'll want to keep his commandments. Now, some almost add the words without failure, but he does not do that. We're going to see one of his failures in a moment. We all stumble in many ways. But the Bible is very clear. We've seen it repeatedly that if we know Jesus, there's a new direction in our life. There's a new way of life. Why? Because when God credits you with righteousness, for the first time ever, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. You know what he does? He makes you holy. And he is your helper. He wants to help you. And so if our life is not changed it means the Spirit is not residing in us. It means we've never believed on Christ where we're deemed saints. Again, the difference between a true believer and a false believer is that a true believer has a new direction. We're not talking about perfection, but direction. There's a new direction in life. And understand, obedience is not a condition of salvation. It is the evidence of salvation. But not only is it the evidence of salvation, as our verse this morning in verse 6 underscores, it is also the pathway to blessing. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. In other words, if you are obeying what God is revealing in this book, he's going to bless you. He didn't give you this book so you can create some big chart to make you smarter. He gave us this book that we might surrender more fully to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. John said it this way in his first letter, 1 John 3, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself as he is pure. You see, when we live with the expectation that Jesus could come this, I mean, if you knew he was coming this afternoon at three, what would you do? I got this brother who's lost. I want to go talk to him. And I got this person that I owe money to, and I want to go fix that. And you might want to get some things right. Well, we are to live like he can come at any moment. And when we live with that expectation, we will live a pure life as Jesus is pure. And so that's what the early church did, and it was a major motivation for them that I think we have lost. And so when Paul concludes his whole discourse on being changed in the twinkling of an eye, he says, therefore, here's the application, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. 
It's not in vain for you to heed the words of the prophecy of this book. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, we are of good courage, I say, and prefer to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. A few days ago, had a brother right here, been a member since I came, went home to be with Jesus. His body was there, but the person inside the body, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Therefore, Paul says, we have as our ambition, whether at home, alive in this body, or absent, to be pleasing to him, to him, to Jesus. Peter said it this way when he spoke of the fact that Jesus's return is imminent. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort, what kind, what manner of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? He has already said in the book that we are aliens and strangers that our real citizenship, Paul said, is not as Americans, but it's in heaven. Now, while I don't believe that we should be weird for weird's sake, because I know some believers associate weirdness with holiness, and when they're weird, unnecessarily, they repel people and they miss opportunity to win people to Jesus. But we are to be different. We are to be holy. And so further spelling out our need, Peter says, therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, Christ's return, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. Now, you're not going to take much when you leave this world. In fact, everything you own, it's all going to be left behind. But there's one thing you will take with you, and it will be your righteous character. Righteousness will permeate the coming kingdom. And so we are to be diligent that we might be blessed to heed the words of the prophecy of this book. This truth should not only cause anticipation, it should cause application. We should be doing something with it. But remember, at the end of time, the church will be lukewarm. That's the American church. I'm 10 minutes with someone and they talk to me about nothing about football and the time before about football and the time before about football. I know what their priorities are. Football. Nothing wrong with football. Don't write me a letter. But what drives you? What do you long for? Some of you here today are applying what God said. Listen to these words, Hebrews 10, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. You know, if you're not here, you can't do that. He says, as long as it's called today, we're to encourage one another in Hebrews 3.13. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together. I talked to a brother yesterday on the phone, and he has cancer, and he was just thanking me so much that on weeks that he is weak, that he can live stream. But there are some live streaming in their homes this morning because they didn't feel like getting up. That's the lukewarmness of this age. You need to be with God's people. We're to assemble ourselves together, not forsake that as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more, get this, all the more as you see the day drawing near. What day? Jesus' day, his return. Look, when you see Israel in the land, when you see widespread sexual immorality like the days of Noah, 
When you see widespread sexual perversion like homosexuality and transgenderism and all that other junk, when you see growing apostasy where people are abandoning the Bible more and more and more, your eyes ought to be wide open. The day is drawing near. And as that day draws nearer, things won't get easier. They'll get tougher. Sin will grow. And all the more you need to be with God's people. If you have a casual relationship to the body of Christ, then you're in disobedience. We are to wait. We are to anticipate. We are to work. Jesus said, occupy until I come finally, quickly. We are to worship. Let me bring this in for a landing. We are to worship. Again, we read in verse 8, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Now, that's bizarre that the great apostle John would fall down at the feet of an angel and worship, which is one of the great reasons to believe in the divine inspiration of Scripture, because if man wrote this book all by himself, he would leave out all of his faults, and John wrote down a fault for people to read for the last 2,000 years. But when God paints the picture of a man, he paints it blemishes and all, because he inspires realism. Now, we saw back in chapter 19 this same problem. So let me just refresh your memory. Now, John has already written his first epistle. And how does he end 1 John 5? He says, little children, guard yourself from idols. He despised idolatry. And to worship anyone or anything other than God is idolatry. So how do we deal with this? Well, it's one of two possibilities. This was such an emotional event, and his thoughts are so filled with the Lord Jesus, maybe he just kind of lost his head, and his emotions overtook sound thinking. And so the Bible tells us that we are to worship in spirit and in truth. But I think a more likely explanation is that he may have actually thought at this moment that he was worshiping the Lord Jesus. I mean, follow the flow of thought here. The chapter opens in verse 1 where John is shown the throne of God by an angel. And we identify that he, in verse 1, to be God's holy angel. And then all of a sudden, he again, he's repeated in verse 6, and then all of a sudden, without notice, verse 7, it's like the person to whom he is speaking with changes. I mean, look at the words in verse 7. And behold, I am coming quickly. Whose words are those? Those are Jesus' words. We already saw them in Revelation 2.16 when he spoke to the church at Pergamum. We saw it in Revelation 3 when he spoke to the church at Philadelphia. And behold, I am coming quickly. So whose words are these? Well, indisputably, these are the words of Jesus. No one doubts that. But the point of Rob is who's speaking these words? Maybe the angel is speaking them on the Lord's behalf, just like very often a prophet is speaking, and then all of a sudden he says, and so the mouth of the Lord is said. Remember how the book opened, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, to show his bondservants the things which must take place. And he sent and communicated it, how? By his angel to his bondservant, John. So Jesus gives it to his angel, and the angel gives it to John. So if indeed John thinks 
that this one speaking is Jesus, then you could see why he fell down. Now, we won't know until we get to heaven. But we know this. It's inappropriate to worship anyone other than the living God. And so in verse 9, the rebuke comes. But he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book, worship God. And worshiping God has been a major theme all the way through the Revelation. In chapter 4, we saw people worshiping God in Revelation 4. In Revelation 5, we saw them again worshiping the Lord God Jesus. In chapter 7, we saw this great multitude of people who lose their lives during the tribulation. And who are they worshiping again? Jesus. In chapter 15 and 19, who are they worshiping again? The Lord Jesus. Look, when Jesus is worshiped even in his resurrected body before the ascension by two women in the garden, he doesn't tear his robes like Peter or Paul did on two separate occasions. Don't worship me. I'm just a man. He receives the worship. And all of heaven is worshiping Jesus. Look, the Mormons and the JWs who say Jesus is just a man, they don't believe in the same Jesus that this Bible presents. Now, you may not believe the Bible, and that's another issue, and I'm happy to show you that this is the only book that God ever wrote. He didn't write the Vedas and the Book of Mormon or the Quran. The only book God wrote was the Holy Bible. And the Bible presents Jesus as worthy of worship. Listen, you shall worship the Lord thy God and him only. To worship Jesus and him not to be God is utter blasphemy. But here God's angel rebukes John for whatever reason. I don't think it's willful idolatry. I just think he's lost his head for whatever reason or he didn't understand what was happening. And he's rebuked. Now, where to wait? for God's Son from heaven. But we don't sit on our hands. We are to work. And some of you, if the truth were known, you show up and that's it. You don't have a ministry, either when the church is gathered or when it's scattered. You're to occupy until he comes. And we are to worship. He is our creator. He is our redeemer. He is our savior. He is our God. A tourist was exploring there, that great section in northern Italy. Some of you have been there, Lake Como. He came to a beautiful castle, the Villa Esconiti. And as he looked at that castle, he was brave enough to open the gate. And he walked in, and it was just breathtaking. It's just meticulously manicured, the entire estate. And he saw a gardener there, and he said, would it be okay if I came in and just looked around? He said, of course, come on in. You're more than welcome. I'm glad to have a guest. The man began to walk around the grounds, and he said, is the owner here today? He said, oh, no, no, he's away. The tourist said, well, does he come here often? When was the last time you saw him? He said, well, I saw him about 12 years ago. Rather surprised, the tourist asked, 12 years? You mean this owner has not been here in 12 years? He said, that, that's, that's right. Well, who tells you what to do? Well, he has an administrator in Milan, and he gives me weekly instructions, and I take my orders from him. And there he was, clipping, pruning, trimming. And he thought, 
this is incredible. Look at this place. Look at this man's commitment. And his boss never, ever shows up. He said, everything is so beautiful. It looks like you're expecting him tomorrow. He said, I am. In fact, he may come today, and I'm ready for him. Friend, every born-again, blood-bought child of God, you ought to be living like Jesus may come today. It's not something far off out in the future. By death or rapture, you're going to meet him one of these days. Revelation 1.7 says, every eye will see him. Whether you see him in the rapture or whether people see him in the second coming, every eye will see him. Zechariah said, those who crucified him will look on him. They will see him. Every crusader that hates Jesus, every politician that despises our values, every pornographer will see him, every pimp, every baby-killing abortionist, every drug dealer, every self-righteous person, whether redeemed or unredeemed, everyone will see him. So are you ready? If you do not know that if you took your last breath in that seat today, that heaven is your home, you're not ready. But you can be because salvation is a gift and if you will humbly receive it, he will forgive you and give you a new life. But many of you have crossed that line. But you've gotten lackadaisical. You've gotten just kind of apathetic. And if Jesus came back today, you wouldn't be like that gardener. You'd shrink back in shame. Now, our Father, thank you for your word, for its incredible inspiration that we are reading this morning, your very breath put into print. May we be those who heed this great prophetic book. Help someone today, Father, who's never received Jesus. Help them to see that they are unworthy of the kingdom of God. Every one of us is. And until they admit that unworthiness, they'll never see a need for a Savior. Help them to call upon the one who died in their place, who bore all of their punishment who proved his ability when he was raised from the dead. Help someone today, Father, to say, Lord Jesus, save me. Now, Father, many of us have done that. We've made a confession of faith. We've even joined a Bible-believing church. This one or people who are live streaming in other parts of the world, another church. But the passion has dwindled. You want to change that. May you have absolute sway over us. May we confess our lukewarmness and our indifference and any sin that may be blocking our relationship with you, our fellowship with you, that you might cleanse us and use us once again. And we ask it in Jesus' name and for his holy honor. Amen. To listen again to today's study from Revelation 22 entitled, Are You Ready for Jesus' Return? 
Use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and asking for program REV67. Tomorrow, Dr. Brogy asks a very important question which you will want to make sure you have settled in your heart and mind. Is your conversion real? Join us then as we search the scriptures.